0: You are look at the book of Acts, and we're looking uh, at chapter fifteen, uh, the first twenty-one verses. And so, it's uh, somewhat lengthy, not too bad. But let's go ahead and dive into uh, what is happening here in our story of Acts. Luke writes, "Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers." And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, my brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James said, or replied, my brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other people's May seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we gather this morning having sung songs of praise, having taken up our offering, having heard from our covenant children. And we know that all of these things, Lord, all of these things shape us. And we pray, Lord, that as we are shaped more and more like you, that your word, your grace, your love would be proclaimed in our community and across the globe. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. And amen. So over the last couple of months now, we've kind of framed our look at Acts as a way for us, the major theme of being how we are witnesses, how we are reflections of Jesus uh, to all of the world. And we, uh, we, the genesis of that was from the very first Sunday when Jesus, and we've said this a lot, so hopefully you remember it, when Jesus said to the disciples, you... Will be my okay. Well, let's go back to Acts one, and we'll uh, I'll do that sermon. You will be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see this then. We saw it, of course, in Pentecost. When we looked at the story of Pentecost and how uh, the Spirit came down and all of a sudden they were able to speak in the language of others and they were able to speak of God's mighty deeds. And so all of a sudden they were able to be witnesses to others. And that has continued, right? On that day, of course, there were 3,000 who became followers of Jesus and who became witnesses themselves. And then uh, that continued to move on. And we had um, in Acts 2, uh, we had even the we didn't actually cover this, but you all know this by now because we, we do it at least once a year, where all of a sudden the ways in which they were living uh, were able to be reflections of Jesus, the fact that they were eating together, the fact that they were selling what they had and that they were giving to others, all of these things then helped to be a witness and to reflect Jesus' love. Now, there's been another sub-theme, if you will, that's also, I think, begun to percolate as we've kind of been looking over this Acts. It's something that I knew a little bit before, but it's really kind of been drawn to my eye, which is this this time, which is reality that it wasn't always easy, and that oftentimes there were struggles. And, and, and sometimes we talk about the fact, or we look at this early church, and we, we look at it as if it was some kind of utopian type of community. And the reality is, of course, it looks much more, it was much more real, much more like the real church that we see today, right? We saw that it kicked us off with Ananias and Sapphira. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, how can you forget that story, right? They, They decided to kind of lie, if you will, about how much they had given. And because of that, they ended up Yeah, you guys remember that part, right? But not the witnesses part. That's interesting. So fear is a great motivator, it seems. And so they ended up dying. That's exactly right. And what we talked about was the reality of how important it is for us, if we are going to be witnesses, to genuinely be honest and real, that especially in a place like this, in a society of which we live, in our kinds of communities where you get points, it seems to me, for feigning as if everything is wonderful and living the perfect Facebook or Instagram kind of life, that if we can be a community that is honest and true, that we will be able to reflect Jesus amongst our society in remarkable ways. Right, and so we saw that and then we kinda continued on and we remembered uh that, that there were those who were being left behind as the church mission continued to move forward, as God's message continued to get out, it seemed that there were some who were left behind and, and these were the widows and so the so so um So God worked, they came up, the the complainers, if you will, the conflict that all of a sudden began to envelop the community. And they said, hey, we have folks that are being left behind. And the apostles said, A, you are right. This needs to be taken care of. And B, they said, and you, because all of you are witnesses, you are the right people to take care of it. And so they brought up deacons of their own people, right, who were able then to take care of it, right? And so the mission was able to continue and to go further and further. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we had the conversion of Saul, right? We began to see the importance of light, right, in the mission of God, and that a part of being converted and a part of becoming a witness is that you begin to see differently. You create. You, you, you see God differently. You see yourself differently. You see the community of faith differently. You see the world differently. And as you see differently, you begin to act differently. And as you begin to act differently, you help others to see differently. This is what we see in the life of Saul, who then becomes Paul, right, is that he helped others to begin to see differently. But, of course, it's also for followers of Jesus. We are continually converted as well. Ananias, a different Ananias and Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias and other followers of Jesus, it took some conversion on their behalf for them to be able to see that Paul or Saul had really made that turn. But as they begin to see that, all of a sudden, then the gospel message goes out further and further, right? And then we had the story of Peter, of course. And we did this last week in the look at Peter and how as the message continued, one of the things we talked about is that when you are a witness and when the gospel is going out, the way forward is not always clear. That sometimes it is hard to see exactly where Christ is calling us to be. As we said, oftentimes, right, you don't have stadium lights showing you the way forward. You have a mere flashlight or maybe even just a lighter at times. And when you take time, hopefully, to look back, you can see more clearly. Maybe there are stadium lights as you look back. But as you go forward, you take one step at a time. And each time you take that step, it's a step of faith, and the gospel message becomes more and more clear. Which brings us then to this particular Sunday as we look at the 15th chapter of Acts. And yet again, God's great display of work and grace is at work. Remember, in this passage, it is yet one more reminder of our sub theme of the reality. That life is not always easy when you follow Jesus, and that the Christian community is not always going to agree on everything, and there will be struggle and debate. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going in the wrong direction. It means that oftentimes there can be that struggle, and then you begin to get clarity as to how you are going to move forward. Right, I, I love this particular uh, this particular passage because I love the way the NRSV kind of paraphrases it. Right, so they've been they've been kind of struggling. There has been a town hall that has been called, if you will, even before they go to Jerusalem. And and what Luke says, at least as the NRSV translates it, is that there is no small dissension or debate. That is a very kind of British proper way to say something, right? There was no small dissension or debate, right? I mean, there is like, no, which means, of course, that there was there was a lot of struggles right here, right? This was a highly emotional and and contested debate. As the gospel was finally getting out to the Gentiles, The question then was, do these Gentiles who have become followers of God, followers of Jesus, do they then now need to be circumcised? And there was no small debate about this because this is a very personal kind of thing, if you will. Because for the Jewish people, circumcision had always been that thing which marked them apart as followers of God. This was the thing that set them apart as being different. And so they passionately believed that this is what you should do. And all of a sudden you have that versus this growing concept of the grace of Jesus Christ. Right, And so you have these two issues that are all of a sudden are coming into war, into battle with one another. And in the midst of this battle, you have people like Peter and Paul and Barnabas who stand up at one time or another, and who begin to tell a story. They begin to tell stories of how they have seen God at work. They begin to tell stories of how the Spirit has been at work amongst the Gentiles. Now, it's important to see that these aren't just kind of stories that they're telling, and then we say, okay, well, whatever story you tell, because you say it's about God, that's good, and we're going to go with that, because there are a lot of crazy stories out there about God. I mean, as a pastor, I hear a lot of stories people come to me and say, hey, i got." At this thing. It must be from God. And sometimes, quite frankly, it is not from God. I don't know from whom it is, but it is not from God, right? Which is what's great. You have all of these stories of the gospel from Peter, from Paul, and Barnabas. And then, in the midst of this, what happens? All of a sudden, James, probably the brother of Jesus, he stands up. And what he has begun to see is in these stories of Peter and Paul and Barnabas, he sees the story of God in Scripture, And so James stands up and he says, he points out, he says the prophet, it happens to be uh, the prophet Amos. And he says, if you look at the prophet Amos, you will see that it says in there that the God's word is going to go out even amongst the Gentiles. And so as these stories begin to kind of combine with the story of God, more clarity as to how the mission of God, the witness of God can move forward begins to occur To which James then says, Let us not require that these new converts, these Gentile converts, be uh, be circumcised. However... He continues to go on and say, at the same time, let us encourage them to not engage in practices of idols. To, not, uh, to, to take care of the sacredness of sex and marriage. And then he goes on to say, and to not eat food that would be offensive to the Jewish people. Now that's a kind of an interesting result, if you will. It's an interesting resolution to this Because as it's been pointed out, in this particular debate, the absolutists did not win. Usually uh, in arguments it's always it's either it's either this side wins or this side wins and it's it's fascinating to see that James thinks that we need to hold things in tension. We don't always do well in the church or in our society with holding things in tension. But there's a couple different things here that we see being held in tension with this resolution. On the one hand, of course, James says in pointing out the importance of grace. Grace, grace, grace. Grace first and grace foremost, right? One of the things that we have said is if it is ever grace plus something else, whether that's circumcision, whether that's work, whether that's coming every Sunday, whether that's giving a certain amount, whatever it is, if it's ever grace plus something for salvation, then it is no longer grace, right? So grace, absolutely. However, as Will Williman points out, It is also not grace without limits. And the reality is, as Bonhoeffer might say, it is not cheap grace. And that as you receive that grace, after you have received that grace, there should be within you a desire to follow and become more like Christ. And as you become more like Christ, it will oftentimes mean that there are some things within you that need to change. It goes back to that adage that Jesus will accept you just as you are. Make no mistake about it. But certainly his hope is that you do not remain just as you are, but that you are able then to continue to grow more like him as you follow him. But there's another tension that I think is really important and is incredibly difficult for us as Americans, quite frankly, which is this tension, if you will, in the resolution between individual freedom and the community. What I mean by that is there's this sense, right, N.T. Wright says that, that the resolution says that, there's no, that, it, that there is no needful circumcision, that the, you don't need to do that, but there is also not needless offense. No needful circumcision, no needless offense which means, basically, that though you have freedom, there will be times when you will need to submit that freedom for the betterment of the community and for further for the further mission of God. He knew that as people went out, right, that as these Gentile converts went out, that there would be some in their midst for whom, again, for them to eat food delivered to idols or other kinds of things would end up kind of hurting their own faith. And so we see this throughout. In fact, later On we we will see well not it's in another uh, passage but you'll see that Timothy is actually asked um, to go ahead and be even though he's a Gentile to be circumcised uh, even though they'd already said you don't have to as a way of kind of helping him in his witness. Right, And again, this is tough in America because we believe if you have that freedom, then dadgummit, nobody's going to tell me that I can't have my freedom. And the reality is, in the church, oftentimes, we are called to submit that freedom for the betterment of the community and for the furthering of God's mission. But that's not always an easy pill for most of us to swallow. But the more that we become like Christ the more that our focus becomes, how can we reflect Jesus more, and not how can I embrace every single freedom that I might have? Now, it seems to me that in many ways, this is, an, this is the, the part of the passage, or this passage, those are the explicit things to see, but there's There is something else that I think as I was looking over this passage that it seems to me that may not bounce off of or jump off of the pages and yet is incredibly important for us to hear. And that is the role of stories and the gospel stories in helping the mission of God to be furthered. So in this passage, you may have recalled, you see Peter, right? And and Peter stands up and he says, as you know, and, and you think, well, how would they know this? Well... In the 10th chapter, obviously, we had the story of Peter and Cornelius, as we talked about last week. But in the 11th chapter, he tells the whole story to to those who have gathered, to other believers. He tells the whole story so that when he says in the 15th chapter, as you know, what he is reminding them are some of the gospel stories that he has already told them of the times when he has seen God work in remarkable ways through him and how amazing that is. And then after that, we're told, all the people were silent, they were listening with Wrapped attention. And that is when Paul and Barnabas then came in and began to tell them of signs and wonders of God. In other words, began to tell them of all the different ways that they had seen God work. And through this, through these stories, through these gospel stories of Peter and Paul and Barnabas, all of a sudden then the way forward was cleared and the witness of Jesus Christ was able to grow. And one of the things that I am hoping that we are understanding, because I have been as explicit as possible, although the question earlier was not answered with as much fervor as I would have hoped, but is the fact that if each of us are called to be his his witnesses, then that means that each of us have a gospel story to share and what you need to know my hope and my passion is that you that, is that if you know this but you will begin to see that each of our gospel stories is critical to furthering the mission of God. There is this great quote by Eugene Peterson that I read earlier this week it says, that says this, Each of us is a splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of grace. I want you to hear that again. Each of us who are witnesses of Jesus Christ, each of us is a splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of grace. And what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, is that in the exact same way that Peter and Paul and Barnabas were able to further the mission of God by sharing their own personal, splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of grace, so too do each of us have a role to play. And when we understand that, God will work through us. Earlier this week, providentially enough, uh, Scott and I both got an email from a young man named Connor. Connor is a a freshman at IU, and he didn't email us asking to pray for their basketball team or anything. Um, That's pretty good. Come on. So, But clearly he should have. But he wanted to let us know, he wanted to let us know that, that he was going to be going on a mission trip uh, to Tanzania um, in, uh, in March, in spring break with the, with the group, with the ministry group there at IU. Now that's a great story. That's wonderful to hear. Um, but as I heard that, one of the things that happened then is all of a sudden I began to think back. And I began to think back about the last year in Connor's life. About a year ago or so, Connor to use his words, was kind of running away from his faith. He was kind of running away from God for various and sundry reasons. And he decided in the midst of that, all of a sudden, you know, Christmas came, and his family was going to go to a Christmas Eve service, right? A lot of a lot of uh, folks, I want you to hear this as we kind of, because it's easy for folks who come on Sunday mornings, right, regularly to begin to stick their nose up when it comes to creasters, if you will, right? Christmas Eve and Easter people, and so I want you to think about this story when on December 24th, you start getting pretentious, okay? And so their family's going to go, so they decided that they would come to ZPC. It was the first time they've ever come to ZPC, and so they came to ZPC, and as he said to me, he said he felt more welcomed uh, at this church than he had ever felt welcomed before, which I thought was great. He felt there's something that kind of resounded with him. So he heard the message that particular night. It was, a, and there was a story about light and dark, and it really it seemed to speak to him for some reason, right? And so, so later on, I think like in January, right? Um, he knew a kid, a kid named Sean, who's one of our covenant children, and he was a fellow high schooler, a senior in high school as, as well. He didn't know him that well, but he knew him well enough, and he knew that he went to ZPC so he reached out to him. And, and, and so Sean kind of helped him to kind of grow and, and to come to HSM, our high school ministry, on Sunday nights. And, and so, you know, just kind of helped him to, to kind of feel a part of the community. And so he started coming to HSM on Sunday nights. And, and, and he was there, and John Graybill was there, of course, kind of teaching and other adult volunteers and all the other kids. And, and then he, he was talked into going to Awakening. The Awakening is like a great banquet, kind of a weekend, if you will, uh, for high school students. That takes place here, right here on our campus. And so he went to that, and that was a remarkable time for him and things really kind of wrestled with things after that and and so then in the summertime he knew that he was going to go off to college he wasn't actually a member yet of course and so he said hey he sent us an email said hey i'd love to become a member and so he met with pastor scott and so uh late in the summer i wasn't actually even here Uh, uh he stood up right you might remember this kid connor he stood up right up here and he became a member and what do we do after people become members what do we do immediately after that service You welcome him, right? And we don't say, hey, great to see you. You come up here, and you say something. And so uh, one of our elders, Gary Ball, he decided to say something to him. He said, hey, I know a kid who's at IU right now, and uh, uh, he just graduated, but he's staying on for a year. He's going to do a ministry. And he said, you know what? Can I have your contact information? And I'd love to get that, and I'm going to pass it on to Matt, and he'll reach out to you. That guy's name was Matt. And so he said, okay. Actually, what Connor told me was that he Kent didn't even remember that he had given Gary that contact information, so he was a little freaked out at first when Matt texted him, but it was fine. So he texted him, and they got together. So he and Matt got together, and then Matt kind of connected him with this ministry. And now this ministry, it's his ministry with whom he's going to go to Tanzania in order to share his story and in order to spread the grace and love of Jesus Christ in March. Now, I want you to stop, and I want you to think for a moment about all the different people's stories that began to influence the story of Connor in a very short amount of time. The ushers, right? Who, for some reason, because they've been welcomed, they wanted to welcome people like Jesus welcomed the church. The message that day that began to speak to him. Sean, whose story, for some reason, one reason another, was able to resonate right with with uh, with who Connor was. John Graville's story of grace that he's that he has kind of received and that he was then able to share. All of the different people on the Awakening team: Gary Ball, Scott Shelton, Matt from IU, the ministry team for IU. All of those different stories of grace, all of those people who had been shaped by grace, all of a sudden began to feed into Connor, so that now Connor, not only is he grown closer and closer to Jesus, but he's realizing that he also now has a story of grace, and so he can't wait to go out and share that with others. Do you get what I'm saying, that each and every one of us, we have a role to play. And oftentimes, you don't even know that you have a role to play. You don't even know, I should say, that what you're doing, the way in which it might actually influence people. My point is this, is that each and every one of us, whether you are Peter, Paul, or Mary, or Barnabas, or Stan or Greg or Sharon, each and every one of us is a splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of grace, and that that grace and that story needs to be shared. And if it is, you may never have any idea of how it begins to propel the mission of God in someone else which is why I love days like today. Because today, as you bring forward these commitment cards, what you are doing is when you bring forward your sign of, this is how I'm going to give of my time or my talent or my treasure, what you are doing is you are saying, I am going to share this splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of grace in 2018. This is how I am committed to doing that. Because there's a place there where you check off to be an usher, and you have no idea when you are being an usher and you are welcoming someone on Christmas Eve or anybody else how your welcoming might change somebody. There is a check off right there if you want to help out with the high school or the middle school ministries or the elementary school ministries, and you have no idea when you begin to check that off and you begin to help people how it might influence someone like Connor or how it might influence someone like Sean who then influences somebody like Connor. You have no idea that the gift that you Give the dollar that you give, the way in which it helps to create space like this, or in HSM, or in the in the awakening, all of the space in order for us to be able to tell the story of God's grace and love. When you come forward and you put in that commitment card, what you are doing, it seems to me, is you are saying, "I am committed. I am committed to sharing my splendid, never to be duplicated story of grace." But because of the fact that I think that every single person needs to know that, that they have a role to play. I am not going to ask just those who have commitment cards to come forward this morning. It may be that you forgot your commitment card. It may be that you did it online. It may be that you had no intention of ever doing a commitment card. And it may be that you have absolutely no idea what I am talking about right now. And that's fine. But here's what I want you to do. Whether or not you have a commitment card, if you have one, bring it in and put it in this basket. There's baskets on each side, and you guys can come down your aisles. You know how to do that. But I also want you to take a bath, Take this, and even if you don't have a card, to take this as a puzzle. And this is not just any puzzle. Uh, this is a puzzle of the world. And I want you to take this as a reminder of the part that you have to play in helping to get the mission of God in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I want you to hold on, hold on to this puzzle for at least a week. It would be great if you did it longer, but put it someplace where you are reminded that you are a splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of God's grace and that you, no matter what you may think of yourself, that Jesus, when he looks at you, he knows that you have something, that you are gifted, that you are talented, that you are blessed in such a way that you are able to further God's mission. And so take this, take this home with you, put it in your car, put it in your office, put it someplace where you will see it and be reminded of your splendid, never-to-be-duplicated story of God's grace. That we might add our names then to Peter's and to Paul's and to Barnabas's as a way of seeing the way in which the message of love and grace is continued to the far ends of the earth. And with that, brothers and sisters, let us pray. Jesus, we are amazed at the ways in which you continue to work. You use our stories, God, no matter how good we think our stories are, whether they are stories, Lord, that to us seem dull or boring whether they're exciting and full of fireworks, we know that you use each of us. And so this morning, Lord, as people come down as an act, I pray that they understand that they are coming down as an act of worship, saying, God, however it is that you would use my story for your glory, please do so. It's in your name we pray. Amen.